All right, we are. We're kicking off this uh, new series. It's going to be a big one, right? Because we're going to go through the whole Bible. Wow. Don't worry, we're going to take our time. We're going to take our time. Uh, the way this is uh, divided up, each, there's 31 chapters. Each chapter's, I think the first chapter is only like 13 pages. So 15, 20 pages, maybe a week. Uh, if you can read that, you'll be able to stay on track, stay on the same pace that, uh, that we're going at. We also have... Um, this is the grown-up version. There's also a teen version. There's a children's Bible, and there's a little, like, preschool age uh, picture, picture Bible. So uh, we have all those, or if we don't have them, put your name. We'll get one to you, uh, but we got boxes and boxes of these. So get one for everybody in your family so you can follow along. <clears throat> all right. Oh, the story. I like the tagline. The Bible is one continuous story of God and his people. It really is a magnificent story of our existence, of, of who God is and, and who we are and how we relate to God. And it's found at the very beginning. It's the very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Did you know that Genesis 1-1 is the most read verse in the whole Bible? Especially in January. Where people set up this lofty goal. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And they get started. And most of the time, most everybody, so don't feel bad. Uh, Peter's out there. And, but here's the good news. If this is the only verse you've ever read... Wow, you can learn a lot about who God is and who we are and how we relate to God. Such a key verse. It's, this, it's, it's foundational, really, for our entire worldview. If you look at the way uh, believers, we'll call them or theists, right? You've got Christians, you've got Jews, Muslims, they all have Genesis 1-1 in their holy books and uh, all see the world through this, this lens of a creator, of creation. And there's this huge chasm that exists between the creator and creation. They're not the same. They're very different. And, and by definition, uh, God is the creator, right, by definition, that's when we get into John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Nothing was made without him. Everything that was made was made through him. Right? Jesus is with God as the creator. God, true God. Now, if this verse is so foundational, it's no wonder why this is one of the most attacked verses in the Bible. People who want to undermine our creation worldview do so for uh, largely their own purposes, which we'll get to in just a minute, but there really are. There's a lot of ideas. I mean, for centuries, humans have pondered the mysteries of the universe. They have uh, debated and even argued about the origins of the universe, the origins of the earth, the origins of life on earth. How is all that possible? And it's easy to get uh, different uh, ideas in your head. Sometimes children even have a little different perspective. There's a boy who's vacationing with his grandparents in the Rocky Mountains. And they made a stop to just sit down and just take in the grandeur of it all. 
And at one point, the boy asked his grandmother, or, or he made this, made this kind of observation. He's like, wow, look at this. And to think, God made all of this with just one hand. And his grandmother, a little puzzled for a moment, and finally asked him, well, what did he mean by that? He said, well, you know, Nana, the, the Bible says that Jesus was sitting on, on the right hand of God. <laughs> well, one arm tied behind his back. <laughs> but you know, it's even better. God could have done it with both arms tied behind his back because he spoke. He spoke the world into existence. And God said, let there be light. And there's light. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters. And it was so. God's word is powerful and it performs the action that it speaks. It's amazing. Okay, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. When we think about uh, this verse, there's some considerations that we can uh, take on creation. And one of those is God's presentation. God presenting himself to us. Now, we have to acknowledge one thing off the bat, wherever you are in your uh, worldviews, is that the creator of the universe is so wholly other than what we are. The only thing that we could ever know about God is what he reveals to us. You're not going to find him under a microscope or spot him in a telescope. Right? The only thing we could know about God is what he tells us about himself. And then even that, there's a lot there, but it still leaves us with questions, and a lot of it is just, quite frankly, it's just beyond our comprehension. But you can see that from the very beginning, uh, very first sentence in the story, God created the heavens and the earth. And it flies in the face, and quite frankly, it refutes a worldview, very popular worldview uh, called, we'll just call it evolution uh, for the time being. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I, uh, I like to uh, talk about, there's a lot of different uh, topics, debates, takes on this. Uh, but one is just the, the f amazing intricacy of the design that exists in all creatures and all things, really the whole universe, from big to small. But if you even go down to the very smallest living organism, a single-celled organism is filled with a marvelous complexity of information and machines that work inside of it, that it is beyond scientific really comprehension, certainly beyond their ability to duplicate. And another piece of this is the vast amount of information that is written in each cell. We call it DNA. It's essentially, it's, a, it's essentially a language. It's a chemical language, but it's essentially words that are put together to give instructions to the cell. And without these instructions, well, it's two things. You need to have the instructions, 
and the cell has to be able to read and understand and implement those instructions if the cell is going to metabolize its food, uh, do all a myriad of uh, enzyme uh, reactions, and certainly to reproduce. Now here's the real trick of it all. This complete code of information on how to metabolize, how to reproduce, has to exist at the same time life begins. Because you can't have, it's the chicken and the egg. You, you can't have one without the other. They can't exist independently. And if you look at the code of information, uh, Carl Sagan, uh, no, no friend to theism, um, 1992, he admitted, he said, the, the information content of a simple cell has been established as around 10 to the 12th power. That's one trillion bits of information. It's comparable to about 100 million pages of an encyclopedia. That's in a strand of DNA. That's a single cell, each and every cell. But that's a, a single cell. Now, look, I, I get that we have to have a little bit of faith. Uh, faith is a foundational for life. But our faith is not a blind faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, there is, there is evidence. God has presented him. He's revealed himself, and bigly, <laughs> in creation uh, of who he is and how masterful he designs uh, everything, woven together, working together. And he did it out of nothing. Right? Uh, the other thing about Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was teaching eighth grade uh, religion class at our Lutheran school in Chattanooga, and uh, one, one boy quickly popped up his hand. I said, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, Well, who created Jupiter? <laughs> you Weisenheimer. I got to. I don't know how you guys, some of you guys that uh, work in middle school, God bless you. It's a gift. <laughs> it is. It's not my gift, but it's a gift. And I said, okay, this is a figure of speech called a merism. You can look it up. We all, we all use merisms all the time. It's a, figure, it's a tool to communicate. So a merism is a figure of speech that takes the two extremes of the whole that will represent the whole. So if I wanted to communicate to you that I had looked everywhere for my car keys, I might say, I looked high and low for them and couldn't find them. It means high and low, everything in between. Or a store, if they want to communicate that they, they got everything you could ever want, they say, we sell everything from soup to nuts. Or school, I've learned everything from A to Z, right? And everything in the middle. So God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. Everything that exists, exists because God made it. Before God made it, it didn't exist. Nothing existed. And this refutes, this flies in the face of this worldview of evolution. The first four words in the Bible, in the beginning, God. The very beginning. When that, all of that information and DNA, when all of the universe and all its balance and fine-tuning for life to exist in the beginning 
God. Before it all came to be, there was God. Before there was ever one atom or Adam, there was God before anything else existed. I'll give you some, uh, I'll run through this list real quick. So I want to share with you, you, we hear a lot about scientists who uh, push toward evolution. Uh, but here's a, here's a point of view from a scientist who's more of a creationist, we would call him. And, and he wrote a list. He said, these are seven reasons why uh, I believe in God. And he first talked about the rotation of the earth. The earth spins at 1,000 miles per hour. Do you know how, it's how fast we're going right now, sitting down? Hold on tight. Uh, uh, Venus, I think, is about 10 miles per hour. But let's just say if the earth rotated at, say, 100 miles per hour, well, you know what that means. It means our nights would be 10 times as long, right? And our daylight time would be 10 times longer than it is. And under those conditions, everything else the same, under those conditions, vegetation would freeze at night, and if it survived that, it would burn up in the daytime. Perfectly tuned for life. The heat from the sun, the scientists, consider this, 12,000 degrees on the surface of the sun, and we're the perfect distance from the sun to benefit from the blessings of that heat. If we were any closer, we'd burn up. If we were any further away, we'd be frozen. The sun's radiation. If we were half less than what it is, again, we'd freeze. If we were half more, we'd be crispy critters uh, with radiation poison like a nuclear fallout. The tilt of the Earth's axis, 23 degrees. You're familiar with how the Earth spins on the axis? It's tilted. Gives us beautiful four seasons, balanced four seasons. And if it were a little more or a little less, it would completely disrupt the entire climate. Uh, possibility would be uh, the vapor from the oceans would freeze over all of the continents. Again, not possible for life. The moon. You know, if the moon, let's say we're 150,000 miles closer to Earth than it is, twice a day, tw every day, two times every day, enormous ocean tides would cover all of the land masses on the Earth. Now, be, I guess fish could survive that, but not humans. <clears throat> the Earth's crust, <coughs> excuse me, if we're a little bit thicker, we wouldn't have any oxygen. The Earth's atmosphere, if it were any thinner, then the millions of meteors who burn up in our atmosphere would start pummeling the Earth. It would look like the, the face of the moon. All of these things, any one of these things being a little bit off one way or the other, and life's not possible. But you put all of these together and more, the list could go on, right? And you say, wow. That's an incredible design. Now, I have a particular enjoyment in having conversations uh, with atheists or people, evolution and that kind of thing. And <clears throat> I think mean, certainly uh, believe in God through faith, but it is not a blind faith. Now, I don't, I don't profess to be uh, some astrophysicist, you know, with a PhD from MIT. Okay? But I'll tell you what I do. I have a bachelor's of science in mathematics where I've studied everything from applied mathematics, like partial differential equations, to very abstract mathematics, like combinatoric theory and, or combinatoric theory and topology. Way out there stuff. And I understand the empirical method. So 
Uh, we let a scientist that believes in creation speak. I'm an equal opportunity presenter. Let's let uh, an atheist, an evolutionist speak. And the first one is, uh, I'm at two to one. I'm going to give two to R1, uh, evolutionist. Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. You remember thing he died in 1963. Um, he said, uh, we don't know because we don't want to know. It is our will that decides how and upon what subjects we shall use our intelligence. Those who detect no meaning in the world generally do so because for one reason or another, it suits their books that the world should be meaningless. Now let this sink in. There's a huge misconception out there in the world today that theists, Christians, Jews, Muslims, theists, have this biased worldview. Well, they want to believe in God, so they look for things that support God, and whereas, you know, the atheists and the scientists and the evolutionists, well, they're unbiased. They just look at empirical uh, evidence and get out of here. Nobody is unbiased. And here's the other thing about science. We got a science teacher here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. All science is based on presuppositions. You have to start with a presupposition. And I'll, I'll give you one from my mathematics background. If I came up to you and I said, what's one plus one? You would say, you're hesitant because you know what I'm going to say wrong. <laughs> you're assuming a base 10 numbering system. I was working in base two binary, so one plus one is one zero. Uh, there's presuppositions to all of this. And so when we look at an evolutionist, here's what they've done. They said, okay, here's the universe, here's all the evidence that we have. Oh, wait, let's, let's, uh, let's take God off the table because we know God didn't create it. Now let's look at everything else and how did it all come to be? Well, whatever theory they come up with isn't going to include God because they eliminated him in their presupposition. Does that make sense? All right. I do get worked up about this. But I love talking about this. I promise you two. I'm going to give you another atheist. Uh, Thomas Nagel, prolific, famous atheist. This is a picture of him teaching at, 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 speaking at Harvard University. And in a book that he wrote in 1997 called The Last Word, he said, I'm talking about something much deeper, namely the fear of religion itself. And I speak from experience being subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people are religious believers. What do you think about that? But wait, there's more. He goes on. It, is, uh, it isn't that I just don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right. Right? We all want to be right. We just hope that we're right. It's more than that, he says. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Because he realizes if there's a God, then that God probably built in some rules into how this creation is supposed to go and how I'm supposed to live. And now I'm accountable to someone thing. And I don't want the world to be like that. 
I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Sexual laxity, no moral constraints. I want the world to do, again, no judging, no accountability. Well, there is a God, There's, and he's defined as the creator. There's a, someone who made everything that we see, and we are held accountable. This brings us to the second consideration. In the very first book of the Bible, the very first verse or sentence, we see God's presentation to us of who he is and who we are. He's the creator, we're the creature. And then he reveals to us his purpose. Why did God make the universe and the earth and life? And the first reason that he gives us is you and me, for people, for humanity. In uh, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in the wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything. Everything from soup to nuts, the heavens and the earth, and everything in between for your enjoyment. Think about that. God created everything that we see, everything that we know of, God created for our enjoyment. Enjoy it. Have fun in this beautiful world. And he created us for his enjoyment. The relationship, the communion that he wants desperately with each and every one of us. His children, we're his children. He wants to be with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to spend time with each and every one of us. So his purpose is for his people and his purpose is for his praise. Romans 11, from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You ever see those verses in the Bible we come across them sometimes and say like the rocks are gonna cry out, the rocks will praise me if I do this. You think that's weird. Oh, think about this from Genesis 1, 1. The creator. God created fish to swim in the waters. And when they swim in the waters, they are fulfilling their purpose. Therefore, they are praising their creator. God made birds to fly through the air. And when they fly through the air, they're fulfilling their purpose that God has given them and they are giving praise to their maker. God created roosters to crow. You ever been on one of those Hawaiian islands where they wake you up at 5 a.m.? I don't know. But it's fulfilling its purpose. And God made humans to be caretakers of this creation and to image God's grace and love to other people and creation. And when we do that, we are praising God. God. We're fulfilling that purpose. Martin Luther once said, when a mom changes a diaper, she is worshiping God and she is praising God. Say, what? When she is fulfilling the purpose, caring for creation, loving and showing grace to a little creature who doesn't even know her name yet, she is praising God. And see, that's where our story took a tragic turn. God created everything, set everything up in motion, gave <clears throat> man and woman 
an incredible life and an incredible place, uh, walking with God every day, talking with him, great communion with God. God said, this is my vision for this world. This is my vision for our relationship. And the people said, "Mm, no thanks. And so, you know, the story, but uh, what happened was the woman saw that the fruit of the tree that was forbidden was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. And immediately, there's accountability and there are consequences. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before they, they existed in a world and in, in a relationship that imaged God, the God who gracefully, graciously uh, created everything and gave it to us to enjoy. We didn't deserve it, right? He just, he's given it to us. And that relationship with each other was supposed to be open and giving and, and, and sacrificial deference to the other person was now shattered. Selfishness had now entered their hearts. No, God, I don't want it your way, I want it my way. And they realized suddenly, now they've got to worry about the other person. Oh, they're not going to be acting in my best interest every time. They're going to start being selfish too. I need to protect myself. They hid from themselves, each other. They hid from God. Instant uh, consequences. So the rest of the story, the next 30 chapters in, in this story Bible, story Bible is all about God's relentless pursuit to get us back, to restore creation to its original uh, beauty and intention and purpose and to restore our hearts and minds to be sinless and uh, image God and the love and the grace that he has for everyone else. Now, we put up a good fight. Uh, you're going to see it's 30 long chapters, right? And we're still actually living in the middle of it uh, before Revelation comes. But God is relentless. He does not give up on us until eventually coming in the flesh himself in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The consequences for doing what I want to do instead of what God wants, the consequence for being selfish, the consequence for not imaging God and praising God in my words and my actions and my thoughts, the consequence is death. God does not want that for any of us. So Jesus comes and takes that upon himself. As a matter of fact, the next 30 chapters are the greatest love story ever told. And the best part is, it's true. Amen? Yeah, amen. Let's pray. We'll have communion. Heavenly Father, we, creator of all things, we thank you for life. We thank you for the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food we eat. But Lord, many more things than that that we just enjoy. We just love about this beautiful world, about the wonderful <coughs> people that you've brought in our life, the animals that you bless us with. 
And uh, we just thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting. Uh, we look forward to that restoration of being with you in paradise again, the way you intended it from the beginning. Lord, help us to share this good news with others as we continue to grow and learn more and more about your deep love for us. Uh, inspire us to share that love with others. In your name we pray, amen.